everybody. 2017. Anybody glad that uh, we're out of 2016? Yeah? Good response. Me too. Uh, before we get started, let's just take a moment and pray. Uh, our Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to gather together this morning to uh, hear about Jesus, to hear the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to one another, to be reminded just of the good news that your love is so great for us that you would give your only son, that you gave your only son, and that in his coming, God is with us, and he's still with us today. You're still with us today. I pray, Lord, that this morning you would stir our hearts to know you more, to, uh, to, that you stir our affections for you, God, that you would uh, let us know how great your love is for us so that we would love you in return and so that we would love others the way that you love them. And I pray, Father, that uh, through everything we do, through the, the music, through this message, through the time of response and, and everything that we do this morning, that you would say what you want said to each one of us, that you would have each of our ears hear uh, just what you would have each one of us hear, and that your Holy Spirit would stir us up and, uh, and would change us, would begin to change us right here today where we are, so that we would begin to submit uh, more and more of our life to Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you use us uh, and use this time to send us out, to take the gospel, to take the good news to those who haven't heard it and don't know it. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're still in this series, Emmanuel, God with us, and I know it's the week after Christmas, but uh, we're, we're still allowed to use that just for one more week at least, right? Uh, but th throughout 2016, uh, we spent Sundays going through the book of Matthew. And so we started last Christmas, we started with the, uh, with the Christmas series, the Advent series called A True Tall Tale, and it really started unpacking the book of Matthew as a story, right? And then over the last year, we've really begin to, to kind of open that up and, and, and dive more into the story of Matthew. We see Jesus being baptized, entering the wilderness, beginning his ministry, announcing the coming of his kingdom, proclaiming and demonstrating himself to be the promised true and better king, and then calling all to hear and to follow him, right? And then through this series, this season of Advent, we've been in the series, Emmanuel, God with us, and we just kind of retrace, retrace our steps in Matthew over the last few weeks, and we've looked at all the places where Matthew uh, quotes Isaiah and how the prophecies of Isaiah are fulfilled in Matthew. What we've really seen is, is how he, uh, he, he uses these prophecies on Isaiah to show the whole story of Jesus, to show how Jesus is tied, the story of Jesus is tied into the whole story of Israel is, uh, and, and, and ultimately, ultimately reveal that God is with us, right? That's why we name it this, Emmanuel, God is with us. And today we're going to look at this last quote from Isaiah and Matthew. There's one more that we haven't got to yet, and it's, in, it's way ahead of us, though. We're, about in, we're in around chapter 15 and, and going through the book, and this one's out in chapter 21. It's a quote from Isaiah. And, uh, and, and in this particular quote, it's not the same old fulfillment formula that we've been seeing over the last few weeks, but it's Jesus. It's actually a story of Jesus, and Jesus is quoting Isaiah. 
And instead of the fulfillment formula where he says, and this was done to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said, instead of that, Jesus references Isaiah not to prove who he is, but to strike a chord with those who hear and to reveal who they are or maybe who they are not. So I'm going to just set the scene really quick. The, the scene is kind of, you're, you're probably very familiar with it. Just before this passage, Jesus enters Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey and they're singing Hosanna and they're praising him and they're just lifting him up and just saying, the son of David, the son of David, you know, and they're proclaiming him as king and he comes in, it's the triumphal entry. You might be familiar with that. All the crowds are singing his praises and then Jesus enters the temple and that's where we're picking up this morning. It's in Matthew 21, verse 12 through 17. It says this, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now, there's a whole lot in that passage, but we're going to get there eventually, and we're not going to cover everything today. Uh, I promise we'll be able to expound on that in the, in the coming months. But there's two things that I really want us to look at today, just two things. One is this, when this event takes place, when it took place, and number two is what chord was Jesus striking when he quoted from Isaiah? If he's quoting from Isaiah to strike a chord with these people to, to reveal something, what is it? So when this took place and what chord was Jesus striking with the quote from Isaiah? So the first thing is I just want us to think about when this episode takes place. And I just, I just ask what your week was like. Because last Sunday we did this on Christmas Day, right? We came here, we worshiped Jesus, we thought about... Jesus being born and coming to earth and God was with us and we worshiped. And I don't know what it was like for you, but it has been like nonstop since then. Uh, I think I've told you my, my Christmas week is just crazy. And, and maybe you guys have that too, but like, you know, right after we left the service, we went to Claire's parents' house and we had Christmas. Then we went to her grandmother's house and we had Christmas. And then Monday, we went to Lake Oconee and we had Christmas. And then on Tuesday, some other family came in town and we had Christmas again. Then I had some family come in town on Wednesday. So we met them in the morning. And then that evening, we had a rehearsal dinner because my sister got married this week. And then on Thursday, there was a wedding because my sister got married this week. So we did that. And then Friday, we had like a little birthday celebration for my niece with the family, it's just a little family thing, did that, and then Saturday was New Year's Eve, so apparently 2016's gone, right? Just one week, that was a busy week. And every year, my, my week is like that for Christmas. I pretty much just have to take off work. It's fun, it's not bad, but it's busy, right? The reason I say all that is this episode that we're looking ahead at, it takes place on a Sunday also, but it's the beginning of what we call the Passion Week. And this is what I want us to think about. Jesus is in the temple flipping tables and quoting Isaiah on Sunday. And by the following Sunday, just one week later, Jesus will have been crucified, been buried, and will have risen again. That's one week. 
See, there's one week coming in this story that we're in in Matthew. We're going to get to this one week that's coming to which our busiest week, our most productive weeks doesn't even compare. And I know that we know that. That's not the point of the thing. But I'm just saying there's a week coming in this story that's the most significant week in our history. And the reason this is important as we move forward is because over the next few months, we will continue to move through the Gospel of Matthew and will be fairly in sync with the seasons in which we remember those events. So through the season of Lent, Passion Week, Good Friday, Easter, we're going to be tracking with that in Matthew, right? We're going to be involved in the story even in the holidays we're celebrating. And then shortly after Easter, we'll We'll wrap up the book. Do you know how Matthew ends? Matthew ends with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded. Listen to this. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's so awesome. Like how Matthew bookends the Gospel of Matthew with Emmanuel, God is with us. Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. God is with us. It's good news. It's kind of a side note. But as we look forward today, as we look forward to where we're going over the next few months, I just think it's important to see where we're going in this story. Just consider this look, this glimpse in chapter 21 of, of Jesus quoting Isaiah. It's a foreshadowing of what's to come. And my hope is that we'll allow ourselves to wholly feel the story over the next few weeks and months. I really want us to feel the story, to get in the story over the next few weeks and months together. I want us to feel the weight and the sadness and the suffering and all those hard things that are coming because when we actually get in the story and we really feel the hard parts of the story, then we'll actually we'll be able to experience the victory that Jesus wins even more so, Right? One Advent season, I decided to read through The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? And we lived right across the street over here, and in that building, there was, a, there was like speakers all throughout the building, and then on the second floor was like a common area for the few of us who lived in the building together, and uh, there was always music playing in the, in the common area through these speakers, and so it was Advent season, and I had put on this like six-album set. Some of you are familiar with the Sufan Stevens records, the Christmas albums. So I'd put those in the CD changer because that's what I had was a CD changer, not an iPod. Uh, and I put those in the CD changer and I just let them go like all season. So six albums are just going constantly. And I decided to read The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings in this Advent season. So every evening I would go up to my, this room in the second floor and I'd sit up by the windows and I'd read these books. And I read it, it took me like a week and a half, two weeks because uh, I got really involved in the story. But this music was playing the whole time, right? And it's crazy. That was like a decade ago. But every time I hear that album, every time I hear any music off of that album today, I'm like in Middle Earth all of a sudden, you know? I'm like in the mountains. I remember what it feels like to be in the mountains, to be far away from the Shire. And that's what I want for us over the next few months, to dive into the story so deep that the food that we eat, the songs that we sing, the places we go, will forever remind us of the gospel story as presented in Matthew. That's my hope for us as we continue through this story, is that we get so far into it that everything that's going on around us, that everything we take in reminds us forever of the gospel. As we move through the Matthew, 
I just want you to contemplate the whys of Christmas and the why of the cross as you gather with each other, as you eat, as you pray, when you wake up, when you fast, when you Facebook or when you tweet or when you Instagram or maybe you Snapchat or whatever all the other ones are that I'm not hip to. Ask the questions, why did he have to come? Why in such a way? Why did he have to come? Why in such a way? Why the cross? Over the next few months, if we'll ask those questions together and we'll do it at all times and we'll just commit to pray like we've never prayed before, to study the word like we've never studied it before, to get into the story. If we go there together, Jesus will answer those questions along the way and, we, and we'll all hear how we're called to respond. That's my hope. Which leads to the second point. The first point is when does this happen? It happens at the beginning of Passion Week. This is a foreshadowing of what's to come in the story. This leads to the second point. How, in this passage, are we being called to respond? What's Jesus doing when he quotes from Isaiah? What chord was he striking and why? To get to that, I just want us to take a look back. Let's take a look back at Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. If you have a Bible and it has some subheadings throughout right, where they kind of like label each passage. Uh, This one might say something, depending on what version you have, uh, might say something like salvation of foreigners at the top of it. That's what mine says, salvation of foreigners. It's right above this passage. And just let's read this this piece. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5 is just before uh, what Jesus quotes, but I want to read that first. And it says this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say... The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This passage is all about salvation for those who've not come from Israel and who cannot bear children to pass on the heritage of Israel. And that bit about a eunuch, it's, that's weird, but it really gets me. Because the verse could read, this whole passage could read something like this. It could say, to the one who's castrated, of whom it would be hard to say whether they're a son or a daughter. I'll give them a name better. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This passage very much demonstrates the heart of God for bringing salvation to all peoples and nations, not just Israel alone and not just to the people it's easy to take it to, but to the hard cases, right? It proclaims God's ability to bring salvation to the hard cases. Now let's take a look at just right below that, 56, 6 through 7. This is where Jesus quotes from. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, And to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. That's what Jesus quotes. This is the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. That's actually the one he quotes right there. (laughs) Now back to Matthew 21 so we can see how he's using this. The tables, we know this scene. Jesus walks in the, temple, in the temple and he starts throwing tables and this is why everybody with an anger management problem like, can like, 
you know, talk themselves like into like it's okay or it's justified because Jesus got mad, right? Anyways, that's not what this is about. Anyways, so Jesus walks in, he starts throwing over the tables of the money changers. And this whole thing where the tables are and where the confrontation happens, it would have been in the outer court of the temple, which was also, listen, this was also the very place that was meant to be set aside for the Gentiles to pray. Instead, it was being used to sell sacrifices and offerings. And so Jesus strikes a chord, he makes an indictment, and and reveals the absolute absurdity of the situation when he quotes from Isaiah. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer, and then he connects it with a passage from Jeremiah, but you've made it a den of robbers. God's heart was for the foreigner to be joined to him, for them to be joyful in the house of prayer where their offerings and sacrifices would be accepted. And the temple has taken up the space that's reserved for prayer for the Gentiles and made it into a box office. One of the main things, this is what I just want to take away, one of the main things that Jesus is rebuking is how far off the religious people of the day are from the heart of God for the foreigner or for the outsider. Jesus is rebuking how far off the religious people's hearts are from the heart of God and and how their hearts are towards the foreigner or the outsider. So listen, if Jesus came for you and if Jesus came for me, then he came for the foreigner, he came for the outcast, he came for the would-be outsider, whoever that may be, because that's who we are. If he came for you, if he came for me, then he came for the outsider, he came for the outcast, he came for the foreigner. So what I really want us to see is who we were, we were those people. We once were not a people, but he's made us a people. So we ought to be a people who goes to those that he would go to. That sounds weird. But we ought to be a people that would go to the people that Jesus would go to. So over this morning and over the next few months, what I would like us to begin to see and and, and to experience is that we have to be a church that goes to the would-be outsiders and welcomes them in. We have to be that church. We have to be the church that goes to the outsiders and the outcasts and the foreigners and welcomes them in. Somebody asked me the other day what we would do if somebody who had gone through a sex change became a Christian, which was like, oh, so we're going there, that's cool. Uh, And my initial answer was that I just don't, I don't know, and that I would be a little bit hesitant to give a blanket answer to that situation. But the, the question is like, what would you do if somebody who had a sex change all of a sudden became a Christian, what would you tell them to do next? I said, I don't, I don't know, but I, I can't say that there's a blanket answer for that, I don't know. I'd want, to talk, I'd want to know the individual and, and go there with them. And I'll stand by that. But, but as I was reading this passage, those were all what-if scenarios, right? But as I read this passage in Isaiah about the eunuchs, and then I see Jesus in the temple with the authority over the temple, making a way for the outsiders, healing people. It wasn't any more about getting the right answer about what to do in that situation. It was more that I was struck as I read this by God's love for people. I was struck as I read this by God's love for the outsider, for the outcast. What I do know, I don't know the right answer for everybody in every situation. It's messy. It's messy, right? What I do know is that God wants them to be called by his name. And Isaiah says, you might not, I won't call, I'll call them something better than sons and daughters. I'll call them by the everlasting name. 
God wants them to be called by his name, and I know that he loves them. And I know that we, as his church, need to go to them because that's who he would go to. I confess, I don't really know how to deal with these messy situations. I don't know how to deal with messy situations, but that's why they're messy, right? If I knew how to deal with them, then they wouldn't be messy. If you knew how to deal with a situation that would be messy, then it would never be messy. I don't know how to deal with messy situations, and that's what makes them messy. But I've come to realize that there must not be around a way around messy in the ministry of reconciliation because this ministry of reconciliation took Jesus all the way to the cross. That's messy. There must not be a way around getting messy in the ministry of reconciliation because it took Jesus to the cross. And he showed by his going through the mess that the beauty comes from pushing into it and pushing through it, pushing into him. So what I want us to take this week, January 1st, 2017, is just a pause. Maybe you make resolutions, maybe you don't. Let's just pause for a moment before we get all those going. I want us to pause and prayerfully consider a couple of things for this year. At Redemption Church, our vision statement is to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. The idea is that we'll make disciples and that those disciples will make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That we'll lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. That we're all in this together. That there's not one or two people that are responsible for leading new people to Jesus. But part of being a disciple is to go and make disciples. And Redemption Church wants to see disciples made, right? And over the last year, we prayed every week together. And I hope that you were praying with us that together we'd see 100 people saved for the ministry of Redemption Church. That didn't happen, and that's okay. We saw four people baptized. That may sound insignificant, but I'm, I gotta tell you, that's, I'm pretty sure, I, I can't remember for sure, but I, I tried to figure it out. I'm pretty sure that's equal to the amount of baptisms I've seen since I've been a part of this church prior to this year. That's awesome. And not only that, not only did we see four people be baptized and, become, and new people become members and join with us and who are taking the gospel now. Not only that, but, but I believe God's used that prayer that we've been praying to change our hearts, to give us a, a heart that's more like, who's got our, its eyes open to see those that are invisible, to see those who are on the outside and to like begin to feel like the calling or the prompting to go, to be able to, see people the way that God sees them so we can love them the way that he loves them. Those four people getting baptized is good news and it's really worth celebrating. I think it's awesome. We also prayed for leaders, diversity, and MC, missional community, replications. We've been praying for DNAs to be helpful and to be a good place for discipleship to happen together. And we've seen, we've seen all of those prayers answered in some form or fashion And we're going to keep praying towards that end because there's still more to do. We'll never get there, whatever that means. But ultimately, we were praying all year as a church for the gospel to advance in our city, and we just wanted to be a part of that, right? I bring all this up because I want it to continue, but I also want to push us a little harder in just two directions in 2017. As a church, we exist to lead people to Jesus who lead people to Jesus. So there's two implications for us. First, We must radically dedicate ourselves to increasingly submitting 
all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. We keep saying that it's the, what we're defining discipleship as. But first, the first thing we have to do is we have to radically dedicate ourselves to increasingly submitting all of our lives to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. That means all areas of life, everything that's going on, your money, your finances, your sex life, your parenting, your whatever it is, like your coffee habit, what, whatever you need to submit, like all of life, it's all of life. All of life submitted to the presence and empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. And that means it's going to get a little messy. We have to get a little bit messy with each other because we all have mess in our lives that needs dealing with. That's the truth. We all have brokenness and sin in our life that needs the gospel to come to bear on it. And it's not fun to let others help bring the gospel to bear in our lives. It's really good. The results are really good when we can lean into that tension and that conflict and like let the gospel come to bear and like submit to Jesus through it. It's really good, but it's hard. It's not easy to, to do. So that could get messy, but that's good because we really need the practice of getting messy. So second, the second implication is we must be radically dedicated to identifying and reaching outsiders with the love of Jesus. <clears throat> this could put us at odds with each other from time to time because some of you might want to go to people who others won't think that we should go to or some of whatever, or maybe even other congregations wouldn't think we should go to. I don't know. I just know that the potential of going to outsiders has the potential to get messy and to put us at odds with each other. <coughs> Excuse me. But I'm convinced that when we lean into that tension, into the conflict, into the mess, and look to Jesus first, we'll see the beauty of redemption at work and the see, we'll see the gospel advance in ways that we can't. We can't vision cast. We can't imagine it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we'll get to talk over the coming weeks a little bit more about how to lean into the mess and how to lean into conflict and how to lean into the tension. <clears throat> so today, I'm wrapping up. So today, my hope is that we push into this year and the gospel story according to Matthew and we will remember who Jesus is, what he's done, just how great his victory is that he's won and what it means for each one of us and what it means for us collectively as a church. And I'm praying that we take courage to follow the lead of Jesus. As God is with us, may we push into the really messy places with the gospel. That's what I want. Let's just lean into this story so hard with prayer and study and experiencing the gospel that's in Matthew together. That every time we eat or drink or whatever we do that we do in this season, we'll remember it forever. Let's lean in and let the gospel take root in our lives and submit to the gospel through this story. And then number two is let that push us out into the mess with the gospel. And it'd be really awesome if we could be a people who take the gospel and bring it to bear on the brokenness and injustices in our community. <coughs> There's just two things I was going to ask for us to take away, for us to do then. Number one, if you're going to make a resolution, you know, we got resolutions, that's fine. I don't have a problem with resolutions. Goals are good. Uh, can, i just like to submit that maybe you make a resolution to pray and read the Bible like you've never done before. And don't let that be a thing that causes guilt if you miss a day or whatever, but just 
for your own good because you know that you need to commune with your father because you know that you need to know Jesus more. I'm telling you, if you pray and read the Bible like you never have before, then all the other stuff kind of that you would make as resolutions probably fall under that anyways. When we pray, God changes us. So I'd ask you to put that first, to spend time with God this year. And then number two, that you would lean into Redemption Church, that you'd lean into the, to serving, that you'd get involved with serving, that you, if you're not already, I mean, almost everybody is, but if you're not, join up with us, serve somewhere, and get involved in their missional communities, get involved in their DNA, and just lean in to the church together. Because we're going to practice working out this mess together, we're going to go through this story together, and God, I think, will lead us out to take the gospel into messy places together. We're going to enter into a time of response. You know how we do this each week pretty much, but <coughs> excuse me. Uh, just a few things. The, the band will come up and they'll play uh, some, some songs and it's a time for us to reflect and to respond, to pray, to stand and worship Jesus. Um, also, we're going to have people praying in the back. So if you need someone to pray with or if you'd like to pray with somebody, there'll be people there with like orange prayer tags on and you can go and pray with them. But you don't have to, get them, you can get anybody. Anybody will pray with you. Uh, and the other thing that we have is we have an offering basket in the back. That's where you can put your tithes and offerings as part of your worship. And then we take communion every week. When we take communion, you'll come down the center aisle. We'll go this way and, and this way. And you'll take the, the bread and you'll dip it in the wine or the juice. And this represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was shed for you, that was given for you. And when we do this, we remember and proclaim that Jesus is who he says he is. He's our Savior, that He came for us, that He loves us, that God loves us, and that He's made a way for us to be in right relationship with our Father, where sin was between us, it's not anymore. And he's making us more like Himself. And here's the deal, we're forgetful people, and we need the reminder, that's why we do this, right? And so when we come, we're, we're, we're remembering for ourselves, but we're also proclaiming it to one another. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is who He says He is. So if you're a Christian, we invite you to come down and take that with us and proclaim that to one another. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you don't come and take. It's not because we don't like you or we want you to feel like an outcast. Uh, we want you to hear what we're saying. If you can't say it, don't say it, because when we do this, we're saying that Jesus is Lord. But instead, hear what we're saying and take him. The invitation is open for you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. And the invitation is open, so you can find somebody, you can come grab me, you can grab anybody, and we can talk more about that. If you would, just pray with me.